Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Jamie Strickland, a pastor of the rights for the Gospel Coalition, penned these words. His wife called and said, Jamie, can you come home right away? There was a boy hit by a car while crossing the street coming home from school, and Jude isn't home yet. He writes, I was at the church office when I got this message from my wife. I immediately picked up what I was doing, asked a few people at the office to pray, and drove home. So many thoughts went through my mind. I still wasn't sure if it was Jude who was hit, but I had a sickening feeling in my stomach that life was about to change. Tragically, it was our 11-year-old son, Jude, who was struck by a pickup truck that day. And he died at McMaster Children's Hospital about 33 hours later. What started out as a normal Tuesday morning shoveling snow with my 11-year-old son Jude and his brothers before school turned into a day of absolute devastation. How do you go on in life when something like this happens? How do you move forward as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor? There is no training that can prepare you for this. Today we begin a four-week study in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful book in God's word that that God communicates so much to us about who he is and his heart and and his redemption. Maybe you've read the book of Ruth, maybe you haven't. It's a small book at the beginning of the Bible right after the book of Judges. Um, But as I share a story like that to begin the series, you can know that we're getting into the real things of life. And as we live as a family at home and as we live as a body of believers as a family, there's very real things that are discussed in the book of Ruth. February is family month here at the River Church, and we're looking how life is lived in the family, especially this year, how it's lived in Ruth's family and how God uses her family and what he has to teach us. Tragedy, unfortunately, is very much a part of life. If you know, you know it, if you've experienced it, I hate to say it, but if you haven't experienced it, you will at some point in life. Tragedy happens to all of us. Everything just doesn't go well all the time. Bills can be hard to pay. Jobs are lost in an instant and seemingly without warning. Loved ones pass away for no reason at all. Children walk away from parents that love them and reject everything that they were taught. Parents abuse their children and lives are destroyed from the start. The coronavirus hits and it changes our world and so much is different. How do we respond? What do we say to those that we love? How do we help? Where is God? What is he doing? Do we decide to say things like, well, God moves in mysterious ways. God is in control. This was God's will. Do we simply have to revert to a pithy saying because we feel like we have to have something to say? That's often what we do. We just have to have something to say, so we pop up with something like that, and we leave somebody destroyed in our dust because their loved one was just died, and we say that was part of God's will. What are we doing? Tragedy happens, and there's a lot we have to reconcile. How does a family go through something tragic? What do we do? Where do we turn? I want to open us with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that... You talk about our lives. 
And you show it through the lives of people you worked in in the past. And we know that you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we see you working in the past, we know that you can do it again. And you will do it again because you show your character and your word. And so, God, this morning, I pray that whatever we bring into these walls, God, we would be able to lay some of that aside and that we would hear your voice above all the noise. And then we'd be reminded about your character, yes, even in the midst of tragedy. Lord, I pray that you would speak today, that it wouldn't be my words but that as we look at the book of Ruth and the example of Naomi and Orpah and Ruth here at the beginning of this book, God, I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would learn more about who you are, and that we would be able to trust you in every circumstance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to the book of Ruth. Like I said, it's the uh, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we've got Joshua. Judges and Ruth. So it's right at the beginning of the Bible, just so you know that. If you have a paper Bible, please turn there. If you have your devices, go ahead and hit the one that says R-U-T at the beginning of the Bible. It says Rut, typically. All right? So that, that, that's the, the book of Ruth. Um, again, it's a small book. It's four chapters. We're going to do a chapter a week this, uh, this month. Um, and I'm excited about, about this study. It's such, it reveals God's character in such a, a deep way in the lives of this family. But this book begins in tragedy, and that's why we start here in this first week. So we're going to start, we're going to read through the whole chapter this morning, but it's going to be in different sections. We're going to start in verses 1 to 5 today, where it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilon. Or Chilion, sorry. Just a reminder, if you're ever reading the Bible out loud and you come across names that you don't know how to pronounce, act like you know how and nobody will know any better. All right? That's how you go about it. All right? Just don't even miss a beat. Just go. All right? They were F... And here we go. I just didn't do it. <laughs> Woo! Here we go. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahalon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So what exactly has happening here? We can read this chapter, and again, if we read it devotionally, we can skip all this stuff because we're not quite sure of its importance. It's really important to really consider what is happening here. So there's a famine in the land, right? The first sentence, right? There's a famine in the land, the, the homeland of Elimelech and of Naomi. It's the land of Israel. It's where they lived, and there's a famine. You're scrounging for whatever you can get. None of us in this room understand what a famine is. We really don't. We do not understand what a famine is. A famine is you don't, you can't, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know if you're going to get your next meal. In fact, the food isn't even growing. You got to find bugs. You got to eat whatever you can find. Famine is bad. And we don't know what that is. But Elimelech decides to do something about it. It's time to do something about it. Now, Pastor Ryan Story, who's our um, elder over the family team, and he's also our location pastor out at Burton, uh, he wrote this week's Bible study. 
in our book, Family Bonds. And I wanted to make sure you're aware of this. As we start a new sermon series, we also have a new devotional book at guest services. If you want to follow along, there's six days of devotions and a Bible study. Our, some of our growth communities do the Bible study that's based on the sermon series at growth community. And then there's six devotions that our staff writes for every single uh, sermon series that we do. And so we have four weeks in this book. If you want a paper copy, they are available at guest services for $5, but we don't want you to have to pay for it. You can get it on our app for free. If you download the River Church app, you can read the book there and get all the devotions. If you go to our website, theriverchurch.cc, you click on the media link and then books, you can find this book. You can read it there. You can download the PDF to your device so you always have it. You can mark it up there. We'll even, there is even a spot that you can sign up to get the daily devotions emailed to you to your email box. So we try to make it as easy as possible for you to follow along the sermon series each time and be able to dig a little deeper. All right, but this this series is called Family Bonds, and that's all available to you. But Pastor Ryan wrote this study this week, and he had an interesting take um, about what was going on here with Elimelech and his family. He had talked about how ultimately the Israelites had been given the Promised Land, but something they were told in in, in the first five books of the Bible is very very interesting and important that we understand. The Israelites were told that if they would obey and if they would follow the principles of the Lord, they would consistently be taken care of and they would never lack anything. What does it mean that they're in a famine? That's kind of a big deal to understand, right? And so we also have to know that it's the first line is in the days when judges ruled. Well, This is Bible Study 101, just so you can kind of get an idea of what Bible Study is about. If it talks about in the days that judges ruled, what book of the Bible do you think you might need to have read before you read Ruth? Good job. Good job. Good job. I'm glad you got that. The book of Judges is very important to understand what the nation of Israel was going through to be able to really understand what was going on in the book of Ruth. So in the book of Judges, the people of Israel were described by one very sad description. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was doing what they wanted to do. They were not following God. And so this is, this is what this story, this account is written into. Relative morality was ruling the day. Whatever was pragmatic for you, that's what was being done. So the question that Pastor Ryan brought up, which his conclusion's great, it could be true, I'd have to look at it a little bit more, but did Elimelech not trust God by going to Moab? Possibly. I think quite possibly as well. But we have to understand then something about the land and the situation in Moab too. Again, when we get to the Old Testament, this is a land and a time that we don't always understand. And I got to tell you, if you haven't spent time in the Old Testament, it is rich. It is full. It is amazing. In fact, you cannot understand the New Testament without understanding the Old you also can't fully understand the Old Testament without knowing that. So it, it all comes together. But we don't know anything about the land of Moab unless you've studied it. It sounds like it might be, a, I don't know, a tire, you know, brand name or something, the Moab tire. I don't know. But that's not it. The reality of this land is they did not follow the one true God. They followed every other God out there. They, they followed idols and they were sinful. In fact, they'd even introduced idolatry and immorality to the people of Israel, which helped them to do everything that was right in their own eyes. These were the people that you weren't supposed to go to. And so the decision to move to Moab was a decision to move away from God. 
Put a pin in that for a minute. So Elimelech takes his family and moves them to Moab. Naomi, Mehalon, and Chilion, his sons all move. And initially, it looks like it's a positive one because apparently they found jobs. There was food there. There was a place to live. They settled in Moab, but that was on the outside. And then all of a sudden, very matter-of-factly, what does it say? But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. Wow. Don't, don't, don't sugarcoat that one. Boom, he's dead. He dies. Doesn't, doesn't say how, why, but all of a sudden he dies. It's bluntly stated, but Naomi is now left with just her two sons. Something else we have to understand about this culture. This culture is extremely patriarchal. Extremely patriarchal. And women did not have many rights apart from their husbands and or their sons. So to lose her husband in her homeland would be bad enough, but to lose, it, her, lose her husband in a foreign land, so much worse. There would be no claim to anything. She would have what she had, but it would be devastating. At this point, though, she still has her sons. But then her sons take Moabite wives, and we think, oh, well, that's cool. No, not cool. That goes right against what God said, too. This is another affront to God. Israelites were not to intermarry with the foreign nations or peoples. Why? Because they didn't follow the one true God. It would hurt the nation of Israel to bring in all this outside influence. It would take them away from God, which was already happening. But again, though, it seems okay. That seems like things are still working. But then after 10 years, what happens? Both of these sons die, and now Naomi is left alone with her two sons and her husband. Or with her two son, without her two sons and her husband, and just two daughters-in-law who are Moabite ladies. What would she do? She had no claim to anything. None. Not in this foreign land and not at home. Can you imagine as a middle of tra- tragedy what she's saying? What do I do now? I mean, I- I've talked to widows after their husbands have died. And not only are they dealing with such loss and grief, now they're trying to figure out finances, house, insurance, how to log into all the sites that they never knew how to log into and try to deal with all this stuff. On top of all this grief and loss, you don't know how to deal with it. You name it, it happens. And my friends, tragedy is disorienting. It's disorienting. The temptation is to look at the problem and the circumstances that are in front of you alone. And that's what we find Naomi doing. So this tragedy happens, and then she makes a decision in verses 6 to 9. It says this, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to, to, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So she does what she thinks is best. She says, look, she hears that, she hears that God had restored Israel, that there's food. It was time to return home. Home wouldn't be the same, though. She had been gone a long time. A long time. She left with a husband and sons, which would seem as a full household. And how would she be returning? By herself, with two Moabite women. Can you imagine what was going through her, through her mind? She felt like she had nothing. What would people think? What would they say when she returned home? 
How would she rebuild? Again, a woman with no husband would find things absolutely difficult. She still had two daughters-in-law. Does she take them home with her? They're Moabites. People back home talk about the Moabites. Would it bring shame to her? Besides, they already, they're already home. They already have a home. They don't want to go with me, she thinks. They can go back to their families. Truly, I'm all alone. And so she gives them an out in verses 8 to 9. She says, look, just go home. You're already home. Go back to where you came from, to your families. And they weep together. Over the years, over 20 years of being here, and over 25 years of ministry, I've had the honor of weeping with many people. And as I prepared this message, and as I preach now, Faces of people streamed through my mind. And the tears that have been shed over absolute tragedy, the loss of loved ones, children that aren't living for the Lord, situations that come up in families. It's an honor to weep with those that weep. Is it easy? No, it's not. Been through some dark times. Our family has been through dark times. And so they weep. But what Naomi is doing here is all she sees is the tragedy. She's believing lies here, which is so easy to do in the midst of struggle and deep pain. She says, I'm all alone. No one cares. In fact, we skip down to verse 19. We see see more of her reaction. Where it says, so the two of them went on. We'll get to why it says two of them here in a minute. Until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. That means everybody's talking. Okay? We can go, oh, they were stirred. I wonder what that means. Everybody's talking. I wonder what in the world she's doing back. Hey, Naomi left with a husband and sons. She has nothing and she's with this Moabite woman. All over the place. That's what it means that the town was stirred. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which actually means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. She cries out and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. And here's why. You want to know why? You want to know why I'm bitter? Because God has dealt bitterly with me. He's brought all this tragedy upon me. I went to Moab with my cup full, and now I return completely empty. Do you hear what she's believing in the middle of all this? Can you blame her? But was she alone? Had God left her? Did God really seek to destroy her? See, these are the questions that we have in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our pain, 
and in the middle of tragedy. Why didn't God heal my loved one? Why has God allowed this? God, you're the problem. You could have changed this. You could give me the money I need. You could change all of this. You have failed me, God. There are times when it feels like God has failed us, though, aren't there? Let's be honest. There's times that it's a struggle. And I stand before you as one who has felt that way in life. I want to be transparent with you this morning. These are some of the questions that our family struggled through over the years. Why did my dad die as he did? Why didn't I have a dad that was loving to me? Sorry, guys, we got, we got ring up here again. We can just get that turned down. I'd appreciate it. Why, did I, why didn't I have a dad that was loving to me? Why did my mom make the choices she did? Why did she get dementia? Why did I never, was never able to actually have a relationship with my mom once I turned into an adult because she couldn't figure out how, have a, how to have a relationship with an adult, an adult child? Why were, why was my mom taken at the age of 76? Why didn't my wife and children get to know my family? Why were they taken away? Why, why have we lived in Michigan for over 20 years now and not have times with Jeannie's parents as much as so many people around us get to have with their families? And they don't get to know their grandparents the way we wish they could have. Why can't our girls get to live close to family? Why do we have to sacrifice that? We all deal with stuff. All of our struggles look different, but they're there. And many tears have been shed over those questions and so many more for the Yates family. Times of wrestling with God and trying to understand, but I want to tell you this morning, here's what I found. When I focus on the questions alone, I despair, I struggle, I get angry, and I can't be used of God. But when I get my eyes off of myself, off of my circumstances, off of what is in front of me, and ask God to give me his perspective to look for truth rather than hanging on to the pain that I have and the answers that I want, I begin to see a little bit. I'm reminded of who God actually is, not the picture that I form of him when I think of him in the middle of my pain. Because pain will lie to us all the time. I've never been alone. God has always been in control. There's the truth of God that we have to hang on to when everything else is crumbling. It's a battle for truth continually. What is true? What is right? What is just? What is beautiful? We think on those things. I would love to stand here and tell you that I've gotten answers to all of my questions and I can give you answers to yours, but I just can't. What I can tell you is that God loves you and always has a plan for you in the middle of yours, in the middle of my pain. I asked for permission to share this story, um, and she gave it to me. The story, and I'm going to share bits and pieces of it, a story of Madison Rizzo. I'm not going to bring any attention to her this morning, but um, I've known Madison since she was in sixth grade, about 12, 13 years old. And uh, she was in our youth ministry, and now in May, I get to uh, do the wedding for Elijah and Madison. And so it's an exciting thing, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for what God's doing in their life. But Madison's story, she's already crying. Madison's story is, 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 is a big one. She was a senior in high school. Her mom, and I don't remember the year, so I apologize, but she was a senior in high school. Um, her mom had gone to Cedar Point. I believe I, get, I may have the time frame a little off, but it's close. Thursday or Friday, she had gone to Cedar Point at the age of 39, had a great weekend. Uh, by Sunday, she was, had a really bad headache and didn't know what was going on. She was starting to get sick, became uh, unable to walk, unable to talk, got her to, the, got her to the hospital and come to find out she had had a massive brainstem stroke. And within the hour, I'm going to say about 36 hours, they had to make the decision to take her off of life support and donate her organs to other people. And I remember being in that room with her and her family like it was yesterday. I remember being there as her dad was curled up in the bed next to her mom as she died. And hugging Maddie. And I remember the helicopter coming in and taking her organs to save other people. Maddie was a senior in high school and had all kinds of influences in her life. And she had choices to make. I told her she'd probably be embarrassed, but I have learned a lot from that young woman and how she dealt with this. She, at least I don't remember her questioning the Lord. And I appreciate it because she texted me this, this yesterday, and I want to read you her, her words. She said, when I was going through everything, I don't ever remember ever having doubts that God wasn't holding me, and not in a cocky way. At times, there was just indescribable peace beyond comprehension, and I simply knew only God could have been giving that. And just having that knowledge that God had a good plan for me and I had seen in motion before my mom passed, he's unchanging and will continue to be faithful. And when things were hard, which they were, I just prayed to hold on to that knowledge and remembered the times that God was doing great things Maybe I couldn't see them at that time and accepting that I never may see them fully. If anything, it's taught me how to rely on God fully and made me so grateful for the community that loves me. I wonder if I'd be where I am if, I ha- if, if it hadn't happened. If I'd rely on God the same. And I don't share this to make a superstar out of Madison because she wouldn't want that. But the reality is, tragedy happens. And we always have a choice in the middle of tragedy. We have a choice to make in the middle of tragedy. Every single time. And we see it here in verses 10 to 18. Book of Ruth chapter 1 verse 10, it says, And they said to her, the daughters-in-law, No, we will return with you and your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of God has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left, is the, is the implication, and went back home. 
But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. That statement, return to her people and her gods. Listen to Ruth's response. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be your, my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. There is always a choice in the middle of tragedy, and one was made by both Orpah and Ruth here. See, Naomi is trying to send her daughters-in-law back home. They didn't need her anymore. She's like, I'm just going to be a, a millstone around your neck. They, why would they go with her to a foreign land? And so Ruth and Orpah have to choose. At first, they both say they wanted to stay with Naomi. And that says something about Naomi, though. It says something about the woman that she was, that, that they were so impacted by her that they would want to go with her and leave their families. But Naomi was persistent. Really, ladies, I have nothing to offer you. She's like, if they were, if you come with me to Judah, they, you're not going to know anybody. It's not like I'm going to remarry, have kids, and you're going to wait for my, my new sons to grow up, and you're going to try to have babies through them. In this culture, we have to know, and we have to understand this, that brothers and other relatives would marry widowed family members as what is called a kinsman redeemer. That's a little foreshadowing for you, for the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful book because it's a picture of how God is our kinsman redeemer. And we have to understand that having a family, having children, being able to reproduce, and having your line continue, your name continue, was of utmost importance in this culture. And when it was kept from you, it was utter shame. And so Naomi's like, I can't provide that for you anymore. Just go home. There'd be no hope of a dream of a future with her for Orpah and Ruth. At least that's what Naomi thought. So Orpah kissed Naomi and left to go home. But Ruth clung to her. See, Ruth made a choice. Naomi would again try to convince her but it, that it would do her no good to stay. But Ruth shows who she is and what she believes in her declaration to Naomi. I think it's two of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. In fact, I want to read it again. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, so, more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When tragedy strikes, do you look for a way out? Or do you press in to God and the people that will point you to God? We find out what we really believe and what our true foundation is in moments like these. So I have a question for you this morning. Is God worth choosing in the middle of tragedy? That's the question we have to get to. Is God worth choosing in the midst of tragedy? I have one more story of illustration that I want to share with you this morning is from a man by the name of Tim Challies. He's a Canadian pastor and author. He wrote a book called Seasons of Sorrow that is so real, raw, and meaningful, and this is a reading from that book. Nicholas Paul Challies was born at Hamilton's McMaster Hospital on March 5th, 2000. 
He was a trailblazer of sorts, the first child to Tim and Eileen, the first grandchild to Mike, Marge, John, and Barbara, the first nephew to Andrew, Marianne, Emily, Susanna, and Grace. When Nick was just a few months old, his family settled in Oakville, a suburb of Toronto, where they were joined by Abby in 2002 and Michaela in 2006. He was a quiet and thoughtful boy who valued a small group of friends and a big library of books. He had the precociousness that often comes with being a firstborn and the sense of responsibility that often comes with being an older brother. He was loyal to his family, kind to his sisters, and honoring to his parents. Central to Nick's life was his Christian faith. When he was still young, he decided it would be disingenuous to simply imitate his parents and their religious convictions, so he began an independent investigation to determine for himself if the gospel was worth believing. He eventually became convinced that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that he ought to be a follower of Jesus. He professed faith and was baptized and received as a member of the Grace Fellowship Church, where he joyfully worshiped and served. When it came time for him to consider a vocation, he found his heart set on pastoral ministry. His search for a seminary led him to Louisville, Kentucky, and the twin institutions of Boyce College and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. In 2018, he enrolled in an accelerated program that would allow him to complete a bachelor's degree at Boyce and concurrently a master's degree at Southern in only five years. He pressed hard, determined to finish early, and was on track to finish in only four. He was a diligent student who developed a particular fondness for the New Testament and Greek language studies. He also hit his assistant He also hit his stride relationally, developing many meaningful friendships, becoming an assistant resident advisor and international student advisor, and taking on the role of mentor to several of the younger students. Soon after arriving in Louisville, Nick set his heart on Anna Catherine Conley, who goes by Wren. They began dating in 2019, and Nick slipped an engagement ring onto her finger in the opening days of their junior year. Their wedding day was to be May 8th, 2021. But on October, November 3rd, or sorry, on November 3rd, 2020, while participating in a sports activity with his hall, Nick collapsed very suddenly and unexpectedly. Despite the best efforts of friends, first responders, and emergency room doctors, he could not be revived. All who had the privilege of knowing Nick grieve his passing and remember, remember him with fondness. All who share his faith commend him for running his short race well and anticipate the day they will see him again. His parents, sisters, and fiancé say through tears, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He goes on and he writes, this, this whole book is about how he has processed the, 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 the sudden death of his son. Seemingly, they don't know why. His heart literally just stopped at the age of like 20, 21. He writes this kind of as a journal In this dim fog, I still don't fully believe that Nick is gone. I don't trust myself to believe it, even though I'm the only one. I'm the one who wrote his obituary, which we just heard. I find myself reading it again and again to ensure that it's all true. I've gone so far as to pinch myself, to ask Eileen to assure me I'm awake. What if I nodded off and this is all just an awful dream? What if I'd fallen sick and it's some feverish nightmare? What if I mistakenly popped the wrong pill and I'm now hallucinating? Aren't those scenarios more likely than a young man just falling down dead? I tap Nick's name into my computer and find a news story. Heartbroken boys college students mourn the abrupt death of Nick Challies. So it's true. But somehow it still wouldn't shock me if my phone rang and I saw his name on the display and heard his voice. 
I'm hovering in this place between belief and disbelief, between certainty and doubt. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to feel. I don't even know what to feel about my faith, about my God. I should pray, shouldn't I? But I don't find anything to say. I should open my Bible, right? But I can't focus on the words. My eyes flit about, skimming over verses and chapters, but never pausing long enough to absorb a thing. I feel so much and so little. The pain is searing and dull. I'm writhing in agony and lying still, crying and laughing, rejoicing and lamenting. What am I supposed to do? How can I orient myself when everything is so dim, so dull, so dark? I know I'm heading into a future that is utterly unknown, utterly foreign and utterly opaque. I'm heading into a future that I cannot and will not see until future has become present and present has become past. A wise man once said that true victory of faith is to trust God in the dark and through the dark. I trust that God as he led me through daylight, I will trust him now as he leads me through the thickest darkness. I may not be able to see the way I go, but I don't need to because my eye is fixed on the one who is guiding me there. He has given me every reason to trust him. He has given me every reason to have confidence that he will hold my course steady. My friends, we have a choice in the midst of tragedy. Some of you in this room have faced immense tragedy. Maybe you're still in the middle of it. Maybe you didn't deal with it great when it happened. Because when tragedy strikes, when you don't know where your next step is, when you don't know how to parent your child, when you can't have a child, when you lose someone so dear to you, when you fill in the blank, will you turn to what you think you know? Or will you turn to the God who doesn't just know the way, but he is the way? What will you turn to? Will you choose to move toward God or make a choice to move away from God like Elimelech did at the beginning of this chapter? Will you, or will you follow the way of Orpah and return to what you know? Or will you move forward with God the way Ruth did? She didn't know what the future held, but she trusted God and went to a foreign land. And we're going to see that through this book, how God showed up. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, this Moabite woman is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. What will you choose? For me right now, parenting an adult child has been a difficult process for me. This is about me, not about my, my daughter Kylie. Kylie's doing great. She's, she's not because she's doing poorly or doing something terribly bad. Kylie's doing great. I'm the one that's struggling. I'm constantly torn between telling her what to do, how to do it, frustrated when she doesn't follow my advice or do things the way I think or timing that she should do them, and I kind of want to fix it. And then I'm torn also between saying, I want God to be God of her life, letting her go and letting God be God, even if that means she has to go through something tough. It's, hard. it's been hard for me. It's been hard. And I have to look at that, and as I was, I was writing this, it's like, do I, do I believe more in the gods that I conjure up that I believe are true? Or do I believe more in the God who gave Kylie to me in the first place and loves her more than I ever will? That's where the rubber's meeting the road for me right now. Is God worth trusting, following in the midst of tragedy? I can tell you he loves you. I can tell you he's with you every step of the way. 
He is worthy, he's holy, he's lovely. And even when you can't see it, my friends, you have to look to what the truth is. You're going to have all these questions coming at you all the time, especially in the midst of tragedy. You're going to wonder where God is. Go back to truth. What's the truth of who God is? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are never alone. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he is there every step of the way. God hurts with you. He didn't cause this. The reality is we live in a broken world and bad things happen. And I don't know what God is doing, but I do know that no matter what, you are loved. I do know that he'll give you strength right when you need it. Yes, I'm with you. I wish I had the strength ahead of time, but God gives us strength when we need it. Not before, not late, right when we need it. He shows up on time every time. But let me also tell you this. If you're in the middle of tragedy right now, God is not afraid of your questions. He loves you so much that he'll hold you kicking and screaming because of whatever you're going through. And he'll hold you until you're done. So then he can remind you who he is. Ruth knew that. Apparently she'd seen it in the life of Naomi. And so she went with her Little did she know the plan that God had for you through, through, for her in the midst of such tragedy. And so let me tell you this. God has a plan for you in the middle of whatever you're going through. His plan is not going to fail. His love for you will not falter. So I hope this morning you're encouraged to answer the question that yes, God is worth following even in the midst of tragedy. As we sing this last song this morning, it's called Firm Foundation. So the question for you today is what's your foundation? You can come up this morning, and if you need to lay something down before Jesus, please come. Kneel at, the, at these steps. Nobody's going to look at you. If you want to kneel, at these, these rows are open here, too. If you want to, brother, not be up front, but kind of kneel here. Man, get before God. Ask him to be your foundation if he hasn't been. Tell him that you want him as that foundation. I'll be standing over the side. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to do that this morning. Is God worth following in the midst of tragedy? Let me encourage you this morning. He is. He is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah, even Elimelech. God, I thank you that you write these things in your word, that you've given these accounts to us. And they're not perfect people. They make real choices that, that we make too and that we struggle with. 
So God, I just pray for those that might be struggling today. I pray, Lord, that if they're struggling with the question of whether or not you're worthy of trusting in the middle of tragedy, I pray that they'd be encouraged and they'd be reminded of what the truth is about who you are and how you love and how your plan is not thwarted. God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear your voice above all the noise. Remind us of who you are. Help us to choose the path Ruth chose toward you, that you would truly be our God and you would be our firm foundation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.